Hi, I'm Dr. Fred Silva of Arcana Laboratories, coming to you from Little Rock, Arkansas, with another installment of Throwback Thursday. A History of a Collaborative Study Group, the SPNSG. The Southwest Pediatric Nephrology Study Group, the SPNSG, was a 15 medical center, 11 city, 8 state study group detailing renal disease in children and adolescents. It was the idea and implementation of a charismatic leader, dedicated and tireless, Dr. Ronald Hogg. Dr. Hogg had been a member of the ISKDC, the International Study of Kidney Disease in Children, and saw the importance of study groups as well as probably the difficulties. As we continue to try to move up the pyramid, sort of like Maslow's self-actualization at the top, from opinions to case reports to case series to case control studies to cohort studies to randomized clinical control trials or systematic meta-reviews of RCTs, we move from what some have called eminence-based to evidence-based decisions. I will not plot one of these against the other, but try to indicate some of the things I learned in participating in the SPNSG. But first, a short history of clinical trials. One of the first was James Lind, who first used a control group in 1747. He studied semen and the incidence of scurvy at sea after two months. Some of these semen were treated with oranges and a lemon versus none or treated with vinegar. Those treated with oranges and lemon did not develop scurvy. A second was Frederick Akbar Mohammed of Guy's Hospital. He separated chronic nephritis with secondary hypertension from essential hypertension. He also founded the Collective Investigation Record of British Medical Association, which is a precursor of modern collaborative trials. Sir Ronald Fisher, a very famous statistician, in 1920s introduced the idea of randomization, replication, blocking, and factorial experiments. Another was the first randomized curative trial by United Kingdom's MRC-TB Research Unit in 1946, where they studied streptomycin in a double-blind placebo control study. And finally, Sir Austin Bradford Hill, in a case control study in 1955, compared lung cancer patients with matched controls and also long-term prospective study with smoking habits and health of 40,701 doctors after several years. The ability to see large number of patient materials for this pathologist with the same diagnosis was invaluable. Many things were learned and published from the SPNSG for all to think about and learn. Whenever my enthusiasm in the SPNSG was starting to falter, Dr. Hogg would intervene and re-energize my dedication to this group, including making me Santa Claus at the renal kidney party for children. Dr. Hogg sure knew how to keep us involved and working. Dr. Hogg has written several of his ideas from the SPNSG, and he indicated the following. One, 
don't expect only good things or anticipate a smooth, non-undulating course. Two, most important, is the willingness to work together and to continue working together. Number three, there is difficulty in developing protocols that are acceptable to all participants. Four, study design, data management, and analysis. You must use pilot studies and data forms. Number five, Meetings between study group participants was held by the SPNSG two to three times a year with a one-night stay for social interaction. It was a separate, freestanding entity, not piggybacked on some other meeting or at a university. The focus was entirely on the SPNSG. There were no guest speakers, and it was easy access. Number six, essential was a central office that was also involved in expenses raising funds. And lastly, it involved a well-defined geographic area so participants could demonstrate their ability to work together in an expanding population base. Dr. Hogg and others in randomized clinical controls noted that the challenges are as follows. Decreased enrollment with loss of patients. Trials enroll only about 5% or less of eligible population in oncology studies, for example, for a number of reasons. The hospital data is still written in free text, so AI can't process non-structured formats in general yet. Data collection analysis, there has to be up front a statistics person. And finally, keeping the group together requires, as with Dr. Hogg, a charismatic, relentless individual. Donald Friedrichsen, who many consider the father of lipid metabolism and disease, formerly head of the NIH, wrote an article on the field trials in 1968 in the Bulletin of the New York Academy of Medicine, and I'll quote liberally from that article. Dr. Friedrichsen indicated, quote, the very first recorded field trial took place many years ago in the Garden of Eden. The experimental protocol had received inadequate prior consideration. The population sample was too small. The study consumed too large a fraction of the gross national product at the time. And the results, while considered by some to be unequivocal, have generally felt to have been overinterpreted. End of quote. In terms of field trials, Dr. Fredrickson was referring to the experimental application of an intervention to determine if it qualifies as a useful addition to the standard practice of medicine or public health. He was talking about large trials. Dr. Fredrickson indicated that the ingredients for a successful field trial or collaborative study group would include, from his viewpoint, the following. Number one, proper definition of the problem. Number two, study design. Number three, collection of factors determining whether sufficient numbers will take part and stay long enough to see the trial through. And number four, the interpretation. It is important to involve a good statistics person, as I've said up front. For example, if one starts a study with 500 informed volunteers, it is often that for a variety of reasons, a large number of individuals will drop out. Thus, the power of the study is important, 
That is, how many subjects will be needed to be statistically significant. Another quote from Dr. Friedrichsen, quote, Field trials are indispensable. They will continue to be an ordeal. They lack glamour, they strain our resources and patience, and they protract the moment of truth to excruciating limits. Still, they are among the most challenging tests of our skills. I have no doubt that when the problem is well chosen, the study is appropriately designed, and that when all the populations concerned are made aware of the route and the goal, the reward can be commensurate with the effort. If, in major medical dilemmas, the alternative is to pay the cost of perpetual uncertainty, have we really any choice? End of quote. Others have determined that assessing the quality of controlled clinical trials, such as the Cochrane collaboration, has shown there may be still selection bias, that is, biased allocation to comparison groups. Performance bias is unequal provision of care apart from treatment under evaluation. Detection bias, biased assessment of the outcome or the outcome indicators. Attrition bias, biased occurrence and handling of deviation from protocols and loss to follow-up. And finally, external validity, the extent to which results of trials provide a correct basis for generalization to patients in other circumstances. By the way, the SPNSG got its name not because we covered the southwest part of the United States, but because Southwest Airlines, based in Dallas Love Field, was kind enough to give us a great many tickets, over a hundred or more, for us to travel to Dallas and to have our SPNSG meetings. Thank you, Southwest Airlines. Thank you for listening. This podcast and more can be found in the iTunes and Google Play stores. For more information and educational programming like this, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or visit us on the web at arcanalabs.com.